بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الحمدللہ جنائٹ از دا So it may be the last night of the blessed month. So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He blesses us in our months of Rajab and Sha'aban and conveys safely to the holy month of Ramadan. Amen. And after spending a few months going through the life of one of the illustrious companions of our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to return back to some of the core subjects. So to mention... an aspect with regards to the unparalleled generosity of our exalted Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a hadith in Tabrani in his Maqanim al-Akhlaq, number 116, De Lami in his Musnad al-Firdos, number 2155 or 1-297, Sayyidina Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if charity passes through 70,000 hands, its reward for the last person would be equal to that of the first person giving in charity. SubhanAllah. If charity passes through 70,000 hands, its reward for the last person would be equal to that of the first person giving in charity. So what does this mean? A possible meaning the scholars have pointed out is that this could be in reference to Isali Thawab, i.e. passing on the rewards of a deed to another, in which no matter how many the reward is passed on to, the giver nor the receiver lose out whatsoever. Subhanallah, such is the generosity of our unparalleled Lord Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So for instance, if you offer a deed and you pass it on to all the deceased believing folk. Rationally, the deed should be diluted to the right percentage, so each gets his equal share. However, that does not apply here according to this narration, because the report says the reward for the last person is equal to that of the first person giving in charity. So how strange, for instance, If you were to give, let's say, £10 and you were to pass it on to all the deceased believing folk, rationally, each person or each believer would receive a very short percentage of that £10. However, each and every one of the believers receives the full amount, £10. So what actually has happened to that £10? It's been multiplied billions of times. Not because of your giving or because of the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why one of the scholars, he mentioned, we shouldn't find this strange. And he goes, we can't give examples for our exalted Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we've got no choice but to give paltry examples. One example, he goes, you can give to partially understand this, is like a candle. If you light a candle, how many candles... Can that one candle light? 
So you notice you can go on forever. <laughs> but the initial flame was the first candle. <laughs> Even if the first candle runs out, you still lit up all the other candles which can continue. <laughs> so logically, from the first candle, you've lit literally an unending, unending number of candles. So why is this important to highlight? Because shaitan plays with the ignorant. If he cannot stop you from doing a good deed, he will try to diminish it. And one of the ways he diminishes a sali thawab is he whispers into the heart, only pass it on to the one you are passing it on to. Because otherwise, the dear one that you are passing it on to would not receive the full reward. And logically, he's got a point. But logic goes out of the window. You say no. You say pass it on to, for instance, your mother and father and you mentioned other brothers and sisters and indeed all the believers. And in fact, Abu Huraira radiallahu taught us in Abu Dawood that you can pass it on to the living. You can pass the rewards on to the living as well. And this should not again be strange. So for instance, how strange is this? You tell a person who's going to the Holy Land, please offer a two rakat prayer for my deceased father in the Haram. So nobody finds any fault with that. Well, then you add and do two rakats for me. So then obviously people look and they go, how can I pass on two rakats to you? You're not dead. And the response is, you can pass it on to the living. Abu Huraira taught us that in the hadith in Abu Dawood. In the hadith, the gist of it, Abu Huraira told some of the people who came to him, offer a two rakat prayer in this masjid. And the masjid was in Iraq for Abu Huraira. So he was asking them to offer an optional prayer for himself. So when it comes to a sali thawab, to rewards, the pass the rewards unto the dead, you should be extremely generous. You say, oh my Lord, pass it on to all the believing folk, past, present and future, by your great kindness and mercy. And this is not any sweat to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Consider also the following words of Mufti Muhammad Shafi. In Al-Balagh, page 318. When you continue making dua for a long time and you get tired, then say, O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now you give us without us asking you, for we are tired and we do not have the strength. So again, how strange. Allah doesn't get tired, you get tired, one hadith says. And one of the ways is through dua. So the one asking gets tired, look how strange. The one giving doesn't get tired. So is there anybody comparable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That doesn't make any sense in the created sense. The one giving should get tired. And yet the one asking gets tired. But even in that state, you say, now I am tired. Now give me without asking. Now why is that fascinating? Because again, shaitan. Shaitan will make you make this dua at the beginning. And the logic is, why does God need you to ask? He knows your needs. Just say, Ya Allah, I'm tired, give me. And the response is, that's not correct. Allah Ta'ala likes to hear this service. One hadith mentions. In fact, He not only likes to hear your supplications, He likes to hear your weakness. And if you notice in the Quran and in the Sunnah, all the righteous mention their weaknesses before they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in actual fact, you go to the opposite end of the extreme. You mention your weaknesses, then you ask. 
But if you continue and you get tired, then you resort to this. Now I am tired. Now you give, oh my Lord, without me having to ask. And Lord, this is part of the generosity of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Consider also the following beautiful dua of Sheikh Hakim Muhammad Akhtar in his work, Harms and Cure for Evil Gazing and Illicit Relationships. You subhanahu wa ta'ala, through your favors, have created and endowed without questioning birth in a Muslim home and gifted nobility as a consequence. So this was part of his dua. So did we ask to be born in a Muslim family? No. So what is that? He goes, that's the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because of that, you were given nobility. That's the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he said, you subhanahu wa ta'ala have blessed us with the bounty of iman. A gift more precious than everything else in the universe. Again, without asking anything from us. So if somebody gives you the most precious thing in the created sense, what do you need in return? Allah gave you iman. doesn't ask you for anything. Because that was his dua. Because you gave us the most priceless thing without asking anything from us. Then he said, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when these are your bounties and favors awarded without asking, how is it possible for you to deprive someone when he asks? This is also mentioned by Mawlana Ashraf Ali Thanawi in his Tranquil Eye, page 132. So look how beautifully they were asking. We just don't know what we're doing. We forget the root, which is an integral part of the dua. And then even when we make the, all the etiquettes, we just tape record. If you look at these du'as, do they sound like they're a tape recorded du'a? And the answer is no. They were asking, they knew how to ask. Now why are they mentioning that? Allah already knows, because he likes to hear it. He goes, you gave me the tawfiq to be born in a Muslim family without me even asking. That's part of his du'a. Do we make du'a like that? He goes, you gave me iman without asking anything in return, which is the most priceless thing. Then he says, when you've given all this without asking, how can you now deprive me when, when I ask you? And then he started mentioning his needs. So note, when it comes to dua, we need to ask in a very appropriate and blessed manner. A question is posed. Is there anything wrong in responding to a question by saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger know best. So somebody asks you a question, you don't know the answer. You say Allah ta'ala and his messenger know best. So Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, he said, this was said during Rasulullah's lifetime, sallallahu Now after his passing, one only should say, Allah ta'ala knows best. So this is one view. He goes, yes, it was said in the time of the Prophet, but the Prophet has entered the next realm. So now we is more appropriate to say Allah Ta'ala knows best. However, Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin, he differed. And he stated in the work Purity of Faith, page 78, in the Sunnots, it is permissible to say 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger know best. In issues of the deen, but not in other issues. For instance, one could respond with that blessed phrase to the following question. Can one fast on the day of Eid? So you can say, Allah Allah and his messenger know best, if you didn't know. But not to the question, will it rain tomorrow? Where one should simply reply, Allah Allah knows best. So this is what's interesting here. Why are the scholars even pointing these points out? Because you have to be careful. The Prophet himself was very, very careful in how he instructed this. He once heard a companion say, Allah and he says, and his messenger. And the Prophet said, don't say that. He goes, rather Allah than his messenger. He goes, don't equal me with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what was Rasulullah teaching there? He goes, don't make these phrases because shaitan can make you slip. So here, when you hear a person say, Allah and his messenger know best, what was the what was he saying that to? How is he responding? And if it's a question of deen, inshallah there's no problem. But if it's just to do with the worldly matters, you should say Allah knows best. And again, look how touching. The scholar who mentioned this, he goes, and Allah and his messenger know best. <laughs> SubhanAllah. So he answered it, and then he goes, and Allah and his messenger know best. <laughs> Look how beautiful he actually ended the, the question, the answer with that statement. Indeed, part of the Jew veneration of our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala is simply to be content with his decree. So this is very interesting. Why? Because the Prophet he said, You will never taste the sweetness of Iman until you are content with the decree. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Muslim. And in one du'a, the Prophet taught us to say, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make me content with your decree. So why is that such a high level of iman? Why is it a treasured state? Because you are completely submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you submit, you say, what does that mean? It means that you've given up. <laughs> you submitted to something or someone. So the word Muslim means exactly that. It means you've submitted. Who have you submitted to? King Charles, right? You've submitted to who? Just phrases coming out of your mouth. He goes to Allah. Then you go, well, if you've submitted to him, why are you upset over the decree? Then this guy starts thinking. He goes, I never thought of it like that, right? So there you go. There's a problem. You're saying you're Muslim and yet you're resisting it. So let's look at a few examples. In Abu Nu'aym al-Hilya, 8-191, Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Rawad, he lost the sight in one of his eyes for 20 years. Neither his wife or children realized it until one day his son noticed it. So one of the righteous, he's become blind in one of his eyes. Now think about this. For 20 years, neither his wife or children knew about it. So how is that possible? He's not told it to them. Why should I tell you? I'm happy with Allah's decree. But 20 years later, somehow or the other, his children noticed. And he said, Oh father, you are blind in one eye. Why didn't you inform us? He replied, Being pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
for he has made your father blind in one eye since 20 years ago because i'm happy tell the last one this why should i tell you so what was he highlight the decree so what does it mention you are showing veneration to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over the decree so now it's easy to narrate these reports we're not at that level we get the most silly things and we complain for example you're walking and you sprain your ankle what happens first thing that comes out of your mouth is it tohit or is it something else is that the contentment right and then you get you know even you know like a flat tire what happens fnm landing is that the contentment of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree so that shows your iman is weak this is why a very high level the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said in ibn majah sahih hadith there are some servants of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who are more pleased to be tested than if they were not tested so think about that if the doctor says to you i've got some tragic news what you got stage 4 cancer now be honest an imaginary angel comes to you at that point because i've got a choice to give you now you can either be completely cured or you can continue with stage 4 cancer which person would say this stage 4 cancer be honest you'd say you'd even ask the question why are you asking silly questions exam on cure are you one of those people the prophet talked about right now why are they in that state because these are the servants of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because who are we to be, to be upset with the decree of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when is this decree exercised this is mutashabihat somebody goes when does allah taala decree mutashabihat somebody goes i don't understand you can't understand because you can't say before time because your brain doesn't register that somebody goes when do you decree before time so i can't even use time so if you start saying 10 trillion million zillion google years ago you're a liar that's time so that's the decree when did you come into existence right and when do you die 30 40 50 100 years and you're mourning over something that allah taala i was interesting allah taala in his kindness this is shows his mercy He's given you a time gauge out of his kindness. Where has he given you the time gauge? So you can get it out of the mutashabihat and try it. You get some reasonable understanding. Any of you know? You all know, but mashallah. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, Allah Ta'ala wrote down the decree. Stop. Why did he do that? Because he's given you time. You need time to understand things. But before he wrote it, it's still the decree. He's wrote it now. His knowledge predates the decree. Somebody goes, okay. So before everything that came into existence, 50,000 years before that, Allah Ta'ala wrote the decree here. was that sprained ankle in the decree because yes was that stage 4 cancer in the decree yes so you mourning about and if a person pushes you on it he can take you to kufr he goes hang on a minute so allah taala wrote that and you're not happy with it 
when you say it like that, what happens? Suddenly a bit of sweat starts falling down. No, no, I no, no, please uh, clarify the difference. Haven't you entered Kufr? And then he goes, no, no, I, I, and then he goes, astaghfirullah, brother, you've, but then you say, I'm not saying that. Logically, you have bought it. Allah, again, this is his kindness. This is why I'm discussing it. He doesn't take you into Kufr because he knows your weaknesses and, you know, your frailties. But if you turn the dial and you are content with the decree, you are very dear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now if you look at Rasulullah's lifetime, the best of lifetimes, was he ever upset over the decree? So let's give you a few examples. When after the battle of Uhud, so who won the battle of Uhud? We believe in Quraysh. How many Sahaba were martyred? 70. Were they the elite of the companions? Yes. How do we know? They were the elite. It's because I said it. How did Rasulullah describe the martyrs? They are my brothers. Making statements. They are my brothers in Abu Dawood. Who did think about that? He's called them his brothers. After the battle of Uhud, what did Rasulullah do? Sorry. How was Rasulullah in that state after the battle of Uhud? Serious injuries. He was he should have been martyred. You know, that's there's not an exaggeration. He was struck 70 times on his face, the report says. But Allah spared him because he had his duty that Allah. After all of that, what did Rasulullah do? Two rakats of what? Gratitude. Two rakats of gratitude. Did he only do it himself? So the Lord is. Have you read the seed? Did he only do it himself? And the Sahaba watched him. He goes, Let us all pray in gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Did any of the Sahaba complain? No. So they didn't say, Ya Rasulullah, did you say gratitude? Or did you say patience? He said gratitude. So why was he doing that? Because this is the decree. How could he say to you, those you will never taste the sweetness of Iman until you are content with the decree and not have it himself? When he was coming back from Taif, he was, you know, you, you know they mocked him. They stoned him and he was injured. When he came, what was that dua he made? Anybody know that dua? It was a long dua, but what was the key part of that dua? As long as you are happy, I am not bothered. As long as you are happy, I don't care what's happening. Can we say that? Think about that. What's happened to the Prophet at that point? Abu Talib's died, his uncle. Khatija's passed away, radiallahu He's been stoned at Taif. They rejected the message. He's coming back. His blessed sandals are clogged with blood. An all-time law. And what does he say in that state? As long as you are happy, it doesn't. I'm not bothered about the state I'm in. Meaning, it's all about your pleasure. Pure Tawheed. So here, 
this is something we need to reflect upon. Unfortunately, when people talk about Tawheed, they talk about the dry stuff. Right? This is your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If somebody goes, do you love? Look at that. You know, we say all the time, you are not a true believer. <laughs> people just rattle it out, right? Until you love Allah. Tell us, stop, brother. Why should I stop? I'm finished. Until you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? I've got to love Allah ta'ala more than my own family, myself, my wealth and everything. What, what does that mean? And then a person goes, it means you love him. No, but you just don't repeat the statement. What does it mean? They say, oh, one way is that you are happy with the decree. He's decreed something and you're happy with it. That's a sign of love. Are you happy with the decree? And then a person goes, it's a work in progress. What is one of the ways to get that happiness? So you, one of the ways the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned is that gratitude is to expose yourself to the blessings. So a person goes, right, what does that mean? So let's look at eyesight. Sheikh Mufti Ahmad Khan Puri in his work Protecting Gaze and Chastity and Mawlana Ashraf Ali Thanwi in his Tranquil Eye, page 28, he states, Sheikh Mufti Muhammad Taki Uthmani, he states, Scientists have formulated that in coming from darkness into light and vice versa, the fibers of the eyes contract and expand up to a distance of nine miles in an instance. This is the power, might and supremacy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did the Shaykh say? is when you are in complete darkness, you come from the light and you enter darkness, your pupils dilate, they open. How much do they expand? Nine miles. So I don't understand that. What do you mean nine miles? <laughs> the eyes only that small. It's got so much sophistication within it. Nine miles expansion and deflation takes place in an instance. You go out of the dark room into the light, it happens instantly. He goes, this is the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He goes, he's blessed you. Now when I mentioned it, what's the thing that goes through your heart immediately? Shukr. Because you've exposed yourself to the blessing. If you don't expose the Prophet says, you're not going to do shukr. Now think about that. I've told you that now, what's going to happen? As soon as you turn the light off, you remember. So what did you walk into the light? What's coming out of your mouth? Praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should be exposing yourself to the blessings. This is why that these venerable souls, they would get irritated when people complained of the decree. So think about that. These were in such a noble state, high state, that when they saw people complain, it troubled them. For instance, Hafiz Zahabi in his seer 6-439, once for their ibn Iyad, he said to a man who was complaining to someone else, Oh you, how strange, you complain about the one subhanahu wa ta'ala who shows you mercy to someone who does not. How strange. So let's look at this. So for their ibn Iyad, he was Imam Shafi'i's teacher. So he's from the Salaf. 
and he sees a person complaining. So what? This is common now. One person's complaining to another. Like, well, you know, you mentioned. So he overhears that, and he says, "This it goes strange." He goes, "You're complaining about the one who shows you mercy to someone that does not." What did he mean by that? What he meant was, "You're complaining." You're not happy with the decree, so you're going to somebody else. So look how amazing we wouldn't have understood that if we didn't break it down. You complain about the one who shows you mercy to somebody who does not, because that's strange. Abu Masud al Balki he wanted in Faidul Qadir three dash two three o. Whoever is afflicted with a tragedy, and he rips up a garment or pounds his chest. It is then as if he has grabbed a spear and intends to fight his Lord, the Mighty and Majestic. If somebody goes to you, you are at war with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Marigya me, what have I done? Astaghfirullah. So everybody calls the usury verse. You take usury. You are at war. Mashallah. Where is that, brother? In Quran, where? Mashallah, find it. Right, Surah Bakara. So then he goes. Anybody else that goes to war with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? Yes, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, "Whoever has problems with the Oliya, he goes to war with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala." You paraphrased it, but correct. Anybody else who's going to war with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? Which person has ever said this to you? <laughs> A tragedy strikes. If you rip your garment, you pound your chest. You've got a spear, and you're fighting Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Now, be honest. Would you even think you're in that state? Who said the Abu Masud Al Balki, one of the Salaf? Because don't ever do that. How true were the words of Sa'id Ibn Jubair, rahmatullahi alaihi, who said, "Tawakkal is the sum and substance of iman. Tawakkal." Putting one's trust in the Almighty and Glorious is the bone marrow of Iman. This is in, recorded by Abdullah ibn Ahmed in his As Sunnah one dash three six one Abu Nuaym al Hilya four dash two seven four is Hasan. So Tawakkul, we all know what Tawakkul is. We just rattle yeah. here, right? Tawakkul, put your trust in Allah. What does it mean, brother? He goes, put your trust. That don't say translate. What does it mean? And then he goes, what does it mean? He goes, it's the bone marrow of Iman. He goes, what? Because when you truly put your trust in your Lord, you will never complain. You make all effort, leave it to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's tawakkul. This is why in the Quran, in Surah Al Maidah, Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, Surah Five, Verse Twenty-Three: "Wa Allahi fatawakkalu in kuntum mu'minin." And put your trust in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If you are true believers, got interesting. If you are true believers, Allah Taala is telling you that this is the sum and substance of iman. Put your trust in Me. If in kuntum mu'minin, if you are true believers, those who do not complain of the decree, they are true believers. They have tasted the sweetness of iman, which the Prophet mentioned. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is why the du'a to finish in Imam Ahmed in his Musnad number twenty-one thousand one hundred and fifty-eight. Our beloved Messenger would supplicate. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. As aluka Allahumma rida baad al qada. 
I ask you, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be pleased after whatever decision is passed. He begged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. As'aluka Allahumma rida ba'd al-qada. I ask you, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be pleased at after whatever decision is passed. If you've, you've executed the decree. Allow me to be pleased with that, to be content with it. Now, baby steps. Tawakkul. Whenever you do a good deed, you've done tawakkul. How? Anybody has a guess? Whenever you do a good deed. Is it, is it if you think that Allah has given you the ability to do it, then thank you. Okay, that's a deeper meaning, but a shallow meaning. It's because you're going to expect the reward from it. You are putting your trust in a promise that the deed will give you something. Who have you put your trust in? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you do a good deed, that's the wakul. When you commit a sin, what's that? The son of said, it's the harbinger of kufr. They went straight to the answer. Whenever, why? Because now you are told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do not do this. You've done it. So what's that mean? It means your iman is weak. And that's why the prophets are perfect. Allah chose them. He prepared them. They protected from sin. Why? Because they have the complete tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Lord, we are doing, we do actually showing this. And also Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi, he said something very interesting. He said, if you truly understand tawakkul, he goes, there can be nobody more braver than you. What he meant by that was, it gives you so many blessings. One of the blessings is, you aren't fearful of anything. Because you've got that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? So for instance, you go onto the battlefield. If you truly believe deep down, not a second more I will live, not a second early I will die. How are you going to be on the battlefield? You're going to be courageous like a lion. But if you have problems, cowardice manifests. So what happens? Tawakkal starts blooming other qualities. You become generous. Why? Tawakkal. I know Allah is going to give it back to me. Weak Iman, will it really come back to me? Tawakkal. It's the bone manner of Iman. So the dua again for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah as'aluka Allahumma rida ba'd al-qada. I ask you, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be pleased after whatever decision is passed. Amen. So all I mentioned today was basically taking a glimpse again into the, the immense generosity of our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and talking most of the session with regards to tawakkal. I, the born marrow of Iman. Are there any questions you'll ask? Um, is there a difference between complaining about decree and uh, grieving or sort of like regretting that you did like something in the past, like a sin or something like that? MashaAllah. So when it comes, this is uh, other for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for instance, if you are blessed to do a good deed and a person praises you for that, you say all praises for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you commit a sin, you don't attribute that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You say, this is me, this is my failing. 
Allah Ta'ala and his messenger are free of this, which the Prophet mentions. So on the same theme, if you grieve over your past failings, that's a sign of Iman. In fact, the Prophet himself said, in Imam Ahmad's Muslim, if you do a good deed and you are pleased, and if you commit a sin and you are grieved, he goes, this is Iman. So that really is part and parcel of your putting your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it's a fine point, but it's certainly worth highlighting because shaitan obviously can start making you make incorrect statements otherwise. And if you're in doubt, just keep out. Don't, don't make the statement. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who was asked in Nasai Sahih Hadith about something about inheritance. He refused to tell them for the month. They kept coming back to him. Because we've been around the block. He goes, nobody's answering. Is you're the only Sahaba who can answer it. After one month, he then says, this is a very serious question. And then he says, if I am correct, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if I am wrong, Allah ta'ala and his messenger are free from it. And shaitan and myself are to blame. Then he answered it. And then what happened when he answered it, as fate would have it, Another sahab hears it. He goes, I heard Rasulullah make that judgment. And Abdullah ibn Masood was so happy that his judgment coincided with the Prophet So here Abdullah ibn Masood highlighted what you're supposed to do in that situation as well. Any other questions? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.